Well, it's great to have you here today. My name is Gary Fowler, and welcome to my show, GSD Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. And it's a great pleasure that I have a chance to have my incredible guests here today, Dr. Richard Dana and Vikram Gupta. Welcome, and uh, great to have you here on my show. Richard, can you say a few words? I mean, I'm, I got like, I've never seen a summary of anybody as deep as yours. I got to tell you, pages of things. And, you know, from Stanford University to a medical doctor, from the UAE to your being uh, raised in Libya. I mean, you're just, you've got a broad, broad background. So can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and some of the things that you're involved in today? Sure, sure. Thanks, Gary. It's it's a pleasure to be here. So as as born and raised in Libya in North Africa, and my parents were both doctors. Uh, and when the Libyan sanctions happened, our family moved to Dubai. So I did part of my schooling from Libya, part of it from Dubai. Then I went to medical college in India, and I was really fond of innovation. I was really fond of like uh, innovating stuff and inventing things on my own. So I was working a lot on low cost medical devices. I was the first student of my university to get travel grants to go abroad and present papers. So that was really exciting. And I really wanted to do something in this field. And that's the reason I, I thought about uh, going for an MBA. And I was lucky enough to get into Stanford. And at Stanford, there's also a Stanford biodesign course in which like uh, a lot of medical device innovation comes out of that course. So I took that course as well. And uh, now I'm back to Dubai. And uh, our family business has grown substantially. And we have set up a family office through which we are making investments. So in terms of investments, we are mainly making investments into healthcare because we are a family of doctors. We also do have a hospital in India and a nursing college. So that helps us in the due diligence part. And I'm really interested in like the new innovations that come up, uh, mainly in the medical device and digital health area. Apart from that, we are also LPs in some of the micro VCs, but that's not into the healthcare sector. That's just to diversify our investments further. Thank wow, you. it's interesting. I just have a question. What made you decide to go to Stanford University? Yeah, so I, I really wanted to commercialize the low-cost medical devices that I made, and and I went to the professors at, at my medical college, but like nobody really understood the language of business. So like uh, they would rather like present one more paper or publish one more paper in a peer-reviewed journal than go and start a company. So to start a company, you really need to be risk-taking. And so just to understand the language of business, I thought I'll apply to a few business schools. I I applied to some of the business schools. I, I got into almost all of them. In fact, I got a full scholarship from MIT Sloan. I got Legatum Fellowship there. And I went for the admit weekend, and I was really excited. But when the Stanford results came, I chose Stanford mainly because of the Stanford Biodesign course, because it was all about medical device innovation. You know, but I hear a lot of people that go to Stanford. It's a funny thing, but they talk about the weather. I got to tell you, they talk about <laughs> how beautiful and having lived and having an office in Menlo Park, I can tell you, they're probably right. So a lot of things influence an incredible amount of people. You never know who you're going to see on the Stanford campus, right? Never, yeah. ever, ever. So it's uh, no, it's great to have you here. Vikram, tell us a little bit about yourself and and uh, Ivy Cat Ventures. And, you know, it's fascinating. The IIT, many people don't know about it, but it's like uh, an MIT on steroids from India. So if you can talk a little bit about that, that's great. A little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, so I've uh, grown up in uh, North India uh, and did my chemical engineering from IIT Delhi uh, and then uh, worked in the pharmaceutical industry uh, after my engineering. 
uh, went to the States, uh, since you were talking about weather, I was actually in Cleveland, Ohio for five years. Uh, on Cleveland, the other side. Ohio? Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, that's not like the hot spot of the U.S. I'm not sure why you're there, but Cleveland is like... Yeah, I so Austin, Texas, or Boston, or <laughs> Cleveland. <laughs> I, I I did my one year MBA from Case Western and uh, oh, joined okay. joined uh, IBM Consulting. So I worked with IBM for uh, for a period of time, where I was working as part of the healthcare life sciences consulting practice. Uh, you know, I moved back to India uh, to become an entrepreneur, uh, and then. Uh, worked with uh, one of the largest uh, groups in India called Piramal Group, where I set up India's first healthcare and life sciences private equity fund. Uh, this was a $100 million fund that I raised uh, in the year 2008. And the markets were really bad, and this was after uh, the markets uh, had started melting down. Uh, and then uh, I deployed that fund across various healthcare uh, assets across India and then set up IVCAP in 2011. Uh, and, and since you mentioned IIT, so our entire fund thesis is actually based on the concept of the alumni ecosystem of the IIT, uh, you know, the Indian Institute of Technology alumni. Uh, there are about 400,000 alumni um, who actually, uh, you know, as you said, uh, it's, it's like uh, the MIT of India. Uh, and even from entrepreneurship perspective, you will see uh, if there are 35 unicorns coming out of India, uh, more than 50% of them actually are coming from entrepreneurs uh, with this uh, IIT background. Uh, and, and our fund actually is anchored by the IIT Alumni Trust, which is a collective pool of the alumni capital. Uh, and then we also have uh, the Indian institutions as our investors. So we invest in uh, pre-Series A, Series A, uh, anywhere between three million to seven million, kind of a ticket range. We are at two hundred million dollars uh, funds uh, under management, uh, and we're in the process of raising another two hundred million right now. And do the do those companies have to be from India, or how does it work? So IIT graduates, but you're reaching all over the world. How, you know, because I hear this a lot from Indian. Uh, VCs that they only their mandate is to invest in India, not in Indian companies. So how does that work? Yeah, so you know, uh, since we are, uh, you know, our LPs are mostly Indian institutional investors along with the IIT alumni. Uh, even if it's a company based out outside of India, as long as they have a subsidiary in India, so we can invest in the Indian subsidiary. So we recently concluded a transaction in a company called LUC Data, which is actually a Bay Area-based company, Indian entrepreneurs, uh, a drug discovery AI company. Uh, but we invested in their Indian subsidiary, but we have rights in the US uh, uh, main, main business. Huh, interesting. And how does it work? I'm just really curious. It's just me. You know, I feel like Columbo here, an old, old movie, uh, show a long time ago. But how does it work? So you start up a subsidiary in India. Can those funds come back to the States to fund some of the sales and marketing effort? How does it work? So, you know, it's quite interesting. There's a lot of tech talent in India, right? So these, these companies that typically have either their back offices in India or they'll set up teams in India or, you know, uh, they'll have some operations in India and they will need some costs in India, but 
you know, when they raise funds in India, they will maybe take parts of those funds to the US to, to fund their sales and marketing efforts. Uh, but they will use part of those funds in India as well. I got it. And then one other thing, I just found this fascinating. You worked at IBM in clinical genomics as a right. practice leader. Okay, right. this is 2001 through 2005, right? Right. What were you doing back then in clinical genomics? I'm just, you know, I, I write about it now, but it's like, I'm really interested. What was going on then? This was, in fact, uh, the first time ever, to be honest with you, even I heard the term, you know, when I joined IBM as part of their practice, I was quite fascinated by the field. And uh, 2001, I set up the practice for IBM, uh, recruited a bunch of people as part of that practice. The idea was to bring together the genomics data on one side and the clinical data on the other side, and then create uh, longitudinal records of the patient and really see a single view uh, and really forecast or predict uh, patient uh, outcomes. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, we worked with Cleveland Clinic, for example, since I was based out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, we worked with Mayo Clinic, uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. And the idea was to basically uh, work with specific set of uh, disease areas uh, you know, mine into the data and really then figure out, you know, how different parameters in the, in the medical field are related to each other and how you can actually predict uh, certain outcomes in patients. Uh, so, so that was the that was the main objective. No, oh, I love that, uh, Ruchi. I got a question for you. So, Dana Group, that's your family's company, right? How big yeah. is the? How big is it today? How big is your company? Or your family's company? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty substantial. Uh, our main operations are in the Middle East, uh, in the Middle East and North Africa, but we do have uh, a number of assets in India as well. For example, a hospital, a medical co nursing college, uh, some hotels, warehouse complexes, and and some other assets as well. But here in the Middle East, it's all about mainly manufacturing. So we have seven steel factories, three oil factories, and we also have like some retail and real estate commercial mixed properties in the Middle East. So that's that's mainly our operations here. But in terms of healthcare, it's mainly into in India. Here in the Middle East, it's mainly about manufacturing, trading, and like real estate. Wait a minute. So the, you're a medical doctor. Your family's business is over in India in medicine. You're in the Middle East and you're doing steel and you're <laughs> so what's interesting for you to invest in them? What are you looking for? What's really, you know, if you say that's the thing that I want, what is it? Yeah. So we're a family of doctors. Um, both of my parents were doctors. Uh, they practiced medicine in Libya for 13 years and then moved to Dubai and then set up the family business. And the family business initially was into medical equipment trading, but it's just like Dubai was booming back then and like Libya was a closed economy. So we used to supply like uh, like almost all the goods to Libya because Libya was a very, very closed economy. And that's how our business grew. And then we acquired a number of sick units and transformed and over. So that was the main reason of our growth. Even in the 2008, 2009 crisis, we bought a number of distressed assets and turned them over. And even in the current COVID-19 crisis, we did the same uh, again. So that's mainly our private equity investments. 
but in terms of like investments outside of the family business it's in terms of diversification it's mainly like uh, healthcare that we look into because we are a family of doctors healthcare is something that we understand and even in terms of the due diligence um, we think that we we have a substantially good network to actually help in, out in the due diligence for example if a fintech or or some other deal comes to us we we're really not the experts when but when a healthcare deal comes to us we think that we actually can uh, make uh, an informed decision interesting so i have viewers all over the world now what would you say so in, and they're across the board many of them are ai oriented uh, companies and many of them are in health tech and areas like drug discovery etc but what would you say to them in terms of you know in terms of where you are and what are you looking for you know if you take the top 3 areas that are interesting for you personally and your family what are they yeah so we are mainly looking to medical devices uh, digital health and we also have a little bit of impact angle through which we are mainly looking into like the elderly care space so these are the top 3 main areas we really are not the experts in biotech so we have uh, tried to stay away from that but medical devices digital health and elderly care these are the three sectors that we have made some investments into and we would love to like carry on that thesis forward and how big are the checks you write what's so the range yeah so it's it starts from around 250000 dollars and up to a million dollars we have done bigger check sizes but that's like uh, on opportunistic deals uh, sometimes some pre ipo deals that come across or, or if uh, if there's a company that we are making a follow up investment into but otherwise the the sweet spot is between 250 to uh, 1 million dollars okay super so we 250 to 1 million now do you do it as a single investment or are you in uh, some type of a syndicate or how does it work are you the lead investor or follow on investor Wh- where do you like to position yourselves yeah so it's it's usually as a co-investment with other family offices so we are part of uh, various networks of family offices that's where we get a majority of our deal flow from and we also get quite a lot of de- the deal flow from the bay area and the stanford biodesign program So in terms of uh, uh, investment, we are not usually the lead investors. We usually don't take the board seat. We we like to uh, like participate in the syndicate along with other investors, and um, because we really don't have a very big team to actually take board seats and like help out in the operations of the company and all. We prefer to be just financial investors, but like in the sector that we understand. I got it. So I got a question for you because I've heard this a lot of times. It's yeah. like the secret world of family offices. I mean, it's like the secret society. You know, it's like the Prairie Sion. How in the world do these companies get a hold of the family offices? Because they know how to reach the VCs, but how do they reach family offices? How's that go? Yeah. So, so usually, if you look at family offices, they don't usually have a website, and it's it's not a very advertised thing. but the kind of deal flow that we get is usually from the network of family offices so there there are closed door events in which like some companies come and pitch apart from that uh, i also participate in the number of uh, like demo days of various accelerators incubators that helps us quite a lot in terms of the deal flow and then it's usually about reference like through other founders that we have invested into or people that we know from before and because you really need to build that trust especially for family office investors who are like long term and patient capital compared to vc so we, it's not like a professional thing that we are doing it's just like mainly based on trust and mainly by understanding how the founders work how uh, well the founders understand us and how how is the like how comfortable is the situation 
I got it. Okay, super. Vikram, let's talk about this IIT thing. I'm fascinated about it. And, you know, you were telling me before the show about, you know, how many unicorns you're forecasting and what's going on. Let's talk about it a little bit and how, how it works and, and how the the companies that are out there today that have graduated, is it only for IIT graduates or others? And is only the CEO has to be an IIT graduate or could be other members of a team? Uh, so... It doesn't have to be an IIT uh, founder uh, or IITian founder when we are investing, even though, uh, you know, it's quite natural uh, that most of our deals come through that ecosystem. So almost 50 to 70 percent of our deals actually happen naturally um, where the IITians are the founders. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, but but going back to the, the data points that you were uh, referring to. Uh, you know, if you look at the, the total number of unicorns in India, we're talking about 35 plus minus unicorns, uh, with almost about 22 of them. And in fact, coming from the IIT alumni ecosystem, whether it's uh, Flipkart or Ola or, uh, you know, Inmobi, you name it, you know, so Zometo, these are all uh, Indian uh, unicorns that are, you know, uh, of course, done very well. And they're all the founders are all coming from the IIT alumni background. Even if you look at the hundred your businesses with valuations of hundred million to a billion dollars, so even there you do an analysis of the founders' backgrounds, uh, you'll be surprised that almost sixty percent of these entrepreneurs are coming with those backgrounds. Uh, and, and I think somebody did that research even at the global level. Uh, they actually looked at the number of unicorns and, and ranked them based on the backgrounds of the founders. And the, the IITN founders, uh, unicorns, were actually fourth ranked uh, in the world. So, so I think there's there's something interesting out there, which is which is telling. Uh, uh, and I think uh, it's it's pretty entrepreneurial uh, talent which is sitting there. Uh, so therefore, it becomes quite easy for us to really, even if you just go after that uh, talent pool. You know, we're currently looking at almost two thousand startups uh, coming out of uh, 21 IIT campuses in India. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're very, very fascinating, very interesting uh, work going on. And then we, we picked them at very early stages. Uh, we started investing even at seed stages now, uh, writing checks uh, similar size that uh, Ruchi mentioned, about uh, $200,000 plus kind of uh, ticket sizes for angel investing. Uh, coming right off the campuses, uh, but a sweet spot is uh, three to five million. Three to five million. Wow, amazing. And so the key is to find those companies early on in IIT, invest in them before anybody else, right? So you've got that knowledge and opportunity. But what happens if a company forms in Boston or out in Palo Alto? How do you find out about that company? Does an, uh, Is a network that open that you hear about it? Or how, how would you find those opportunities? So we are very, very networked uh, in the alumni ecosystem. We recently had our Pan-IIT event uh, virtually, which was uh, attended by uh, almost a million people, uh, over a million people uh, where... Uh, Wait a minute. You had an IIT event with a million people? Yeah, yeah. So this was like uh, just held in the uh, first week of December. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, we had entrepreneurs of IITs uh, who came and presented their uh, pitches. We had uh, the Prime Minister of India talk about, 
you know, the talent of India. We had the president-elect Joe Biden talk about, you know, how Indian talent is actually, you know, um, really, uh, you know, uh, creating value uh, across uh, different parts of the world. So, so, you know, there are multiple chapters across multiple geographies. In fact, Silicon Valley has the highest number of IIT alumni, followed by Indian Silicon Valley, which is Bangalore. Mm -hmm. uh, almost about 35,000 alumni in Bangalore. And we've been doing this as a very structured process. So we have actually a database of almost 60 to 70% of the alumni in our database already. Uh, we very actively track uh, any events that happen uh, across different geographies and even participate or even sponsor such events so that uh, people know us in the system and then whenever they're actually looking to raise uh, their initial funding that they, they do and come uh, they do come and talk to us we also created a platform uh, called id camp which is uh, the platform platform itself is an ai enabled platform which actually mm -hmm. does for the startups with the mentors with the other investors as well uh, and uh, there itself we have about 3,000 uh, curated startups on the platform uh, and uh, also becomes a deal sourcing engine for us so so we have multiple sources of deals that uh, that come to us through, through different uh, networks so what is a curated so just so the audience knows what is a curated company what does that mean so we look at uh, you know, of course, the first thing that we look at is the background of the founders. Uh, so, you know, uh, why they're doing it. Uh, so there is a there is a scoring system that we've created, uh, and and the scoring system actually asks lots of questions to the entrepreneurs, where the system itself will filter out. Uh, so there's a lot of negative or 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 uh, uh, you know rejection criteria, which uh, will reject out almost 60 to 70 percent based on certain standard criteria because the volumes are very large uh, when you're looking at very early stage companies uh, it's humanly in, impossible to look at so many companies uh, so uh, our system is able to capture a lot of data uh, from these companies and uh, also tells them back uh, why they got rejected so they know uh, you know uh, if it was a mistake or if they want to improve on certain things, they can come back uh, at some point. Uh, but once we have, let's say, top 20% startups, there our teams start getting involved. Uh, they start looking at the data in more details and then further filtration happens. You know, top 5% companies then come to a little bit more detailed analysis. Uh, where we start actually meeting people and then start talking to them face to face. Okay, so what are the triggers? So the so what are the secret you know secret signs? So there are thousands of these companies. There are a million people at an event. What are the triggers that would say we better take a look at them? Uh, you know. So so broadly, there are I would say if I were to look at just very high picture uh, kind of uh, areas. Of course, the, the number one for us is the founders and the team. Uh, we spend a lot of time on why they're doing it, how they came together, um, <clears throat> what's the backgrounds, um, you know, are they mature individuals? Uh, will they be able to deal with pressure and things like those? So there are lots of questions around understanding the team. Um, so so majority of our efforts goes into that. Uh, the, the second part is the problem they're solving. 
uh, mm-hmm. and for the, the, the target sectors or the areas they're looking at. Uh, and there, you know, we, we basically try to understand whether there's enough space out there. Uh, you know, uh, is there enough white space or even if somebody is already created a unicorn, for example, uh, recently, um, uh, a company called White Hat Junior uh, came out of India within two years uh, from zero to $300 million. They got bought over by one of the unicorns in India, Baijus. Uh, and a startup came to us and they said, we have Junior of White Hat Junior. Uh, we, we do something very similar to what these guys do. My initial reaction was, why do you need another White Hat Junior? But I think uh, when we looked into it, we realized that you know it's such a huge space and the markets are global uh there are multiple ways of going after the same markets uh you could create at least three or four unicorns in the same space uh, so we decided to invest in them yeah. uh, so so that's how we go after uh companies yeah i have to drill down some more some other time very very curious I'm a psychologist too, so drilling down in terms of some of these soft areas is interesting. Ruchi, I know we said before the show started about the relationship with Israel and some yeah. of the things. Tell us, the audience, a little bit about what's happening and, and your viewpoint of it. Yeah, so, so the, the doors to Israel have just opened up and there are some physical conferences happening in UAE. So a lot of Israeli people are actually coming to UAE and it's really exciting to see like the kind of energy that's there in, in the entire ecosystem. So a lot of these uh, are actually Israeli VCs who are looking to bring maybe their portfolio companies here or expand to other parts of the Middle East. So I think like this, the entire uh, ecosystem would completely change because of that, because we know that Israel is at the forefront of technology when it comes to mainly healthcare or defense. So like, and and the, like healthcare is one of the sectors that uh, we are very much interested into. So when I had a look at some of the companies that uh, that came out of Israel, it was really exciting to see. And I was really surprised to see like they, they have like uh, healthcare, like electronic healthcare records for more than, 25 to 30 years. So they have been working on this data for a long period of time. They have immense amount of data and the government is really supportive. So a number of startups that come out of Israel actually like then later on go to the US. So there's possibility for them to actually come to the Middle East as well. So I think there's it's exciting time for, for us uh, to be here in the Middle East to see that new innovation happening. Oh, I love that. I love these bridges. You know, I was on the original management team, a click software, a Haifa based Israel, Israeli company that came over to the U.S. And uh, at the time, there weren't many Israeli companies that had made that uh, journey. So we were right, you know, right in the, some of the beginning of that thing. And to look at it now, it's like, you know, this, what are they called? Startup nation. There's a great yeah. amount of opportunities out there. In fact, it's amazing. That's cool. So if you look at it from your perspective, when you're looking at these companies, you know, um, what do you do? You look at the team first, like Vikram, or what do you look at first? As if you're saying, oh, this is really cool. What's the first thing that you look at it within the company? Yeah, it's mainly the team. It's mainly the team. And uh, we really have to understand the founders. And, and that's why like COVID has made it really difficult to actually close some deals because we really love to like meet the founders and get uh, in touch with them face to face and really understand like what does what is the real motivation behind starting a company and what's their vision for the way forward because it's a lot of time that we have realized because sometimes like earlier on we used to uh, make smaller check size investments and that were at a pre-seed level 
So a lot of those investments actually didn't go anywhere because of the founder dynamics and the relationship between the founders and like because like it's it's difficult to start a startup and eventually when the funds run out you actually some some of the co-founders leave they they look for jobs and all of that so like that that completely stops the entire company. So this is something that we have realized uh, the hard way and uh, so it's mainly about the team that we look into. Yeah, I mean that's a big challenge, right? That's one of the reasons that I started GSD is because you look at it, we look at it, there's three levels. There's startup 1.0 is acceleration, startup 2.0 is regional dominance. Each one of them have hurdles, but startup 3.0 is, is how do you go global, right? So you can have a great team, some of the smartest people in the world, but then how do you do that, especially during COVID? It's a very, very difficult uh, situation. And you're right about trust, right? You want to get to know the people. We used to go out to Hobie's on Palo, in Palo Alto and to the uh, breakfast place, and we'd have breakfast or lunch there. That's how we got to know the folks. They would come from Sand Hill Road, or you know, I, I got money from Chinese, Israeli investors, European, but that's where we would meet. Now the situation is a lot of it's based on trust. It's changed a lot in the last year. In fact, you know, I mean, so if you look at one year ago today, how has it changed for you in terms of investing? Let's say pre-COVID to now during the uh, COVID crisis. How's it changed for you, Richie? Yeah, so we we did actually make some investments uh, during the COVID times as well. And the main reason for that was that there were some really good opportunities that came across and the valuations were, were really low. Some of them were distressed deals as well. But in general, what we have seen is that the, the healthcare valuations have really gone up. But still, there were a couple of investments that we made. But like we did have a number of Zoom calls. We did like very thorough a background check on the founders that's how we developed the comfort but like we didn't want to like lose out on this opportunity because like healthcare valuations are actually rising quite a lot and and other investors who never looked at healthcare before are suddenly starting to get excited about this domain so we thought that since we are in this sector and it, it's it's an opportunity that that is of interest to us so we actually ended up writing some checks but like we definitely did a lot of uh, like background checks a lot of zoom calls with the founders and took took our own sweet time saw the progress that they made over the months and and then decided to like make the investments how much longer did it take for you to make an investment compared to before during the pre-covid post-covid yeah i would say at least like three months longer so usually we used to make investments uh, not so quick but within three months so now it took us around six months or wow. even more in one case yeah Wow. Yeah, that, that's a long time for founders. That's yeah. for, it could be forever, right? Vikram, how about yeah. you in terms of situation? How's it for you in terms of uh, the, you know, pre-COVID, uh, now in the post-COVID, you know, not even post-COVID, COVID present world? How, how the investment times and decisions, how have they changed? So we made uh, eight investments last year. Uh, two of them were in healthcare. Uh, the rest of them were uh, one of them was in consumer and the rest were in uh, B2B SaaS businesses. Uh, I thought, you know, uh, the, the reason we got this healthcare deal, which I was talking about, uh, was mainly because of COVID. They actually had a term sheet from another investor who developed cold feet after uh, COVID. Uh, we thought that was an opportunity ready sitting there and we just took the opportunity and invested in them. We got a very good deal, in fact, uh, because of that. Uh, and um, uh, we thought there was an opportunity actually during this time to actually pick up some very good uh, teams and good business models and then actually 
invest in them and get good terms. Uh, so, uh, so we decided to do that. Um, even though April to June, that time frame was a very tough, uh, tough uh, quarter actually, because um, that was the first phase of lockdowns in India, and, and almost everything was shut down. Uh, but things came back very sharply uh, in July uh, to September time frame, and then last quarter is actually we've seen the kind of recovery which has never happened before. The kinds of numbers we've seen are just amazing, uh, and that has primarily happened before uh, because of uh, a substantial shift from offline to online. So most of our businesses actually uh, are servicing uh, are, are either. Uh, uh, B2C businesses leveraging online platforms or their, their digital uh, or B2B SaaS businesses, uh, which have actually flourished during this time. So, so I, I think it was a good time overall uh, for, uh, for venture capital uh, uh, investing uh, in, uh, you know, uh, digital businesses. We also have a portfolio of fintech companies, which has actually done brilliant. Uh, we have a company called FingPay, uh, they actually grew 300% uh, during COVID times. Uh, and they're servicing uh, rural markets in India. And uh, you know that too on a very large base, they were actually doing about $200 million per month of transactions in January, which actually grew three times by June. Uh, given the size of population in India, uh, you know the size can be huge. Uh, so. I feel very good about what happened during COVID times uh, from an investing perspective. Yeah, I mean, the one thing, like I said, we, uh, you know, I'm getting companies from all over the world. I mean, I never thought, I hadn't really spent that much time in Africa, but I'm finding really cool AI startups in Africa that I didn't know existed there before. So this democratization of opportunities where they're coming out from everywhere and people are connecting. And I remember five years ago when I was one of the, early Zoom users, and people said, why in the world would you want to do that? You have Skype. I said, because this is really cool, and the image is a lot better, and my voice isn't so flaky. So, you know, let's try it. And I remember when I would send out those invitations to people, and they would say, I don't want another one. Now, right, from 30 million users to 400 plus million users, daily users, and um, when I checked last, uh, Eric's net worth was like, $20 billion, 19 plus billion. So yeah, it's a, it's a different world and it really moved things ahead faster than it would have happened in a normal time. It would have taken five to 10 years to get to where we are today, right? It's it's amazing. So that's the good news of this whole COVID. It pushed uh, these type of relationships forward. Here we are, right? I, I'm not at my place in California. I'm down in Palm Beach in Florida. India, UAE, I mean, it's incredible, and viewers from all over the world. So now this is an exciting time, and the companies need to understand that they need to take action. They need to move forward. You know, the companies, the VCs that don't invest now are going to miss out on deals, and there's some incredible deals out there today. It hasn't stopped. In fact, I would say it's accelerated because now they can communicate with people in a whole different way than they could before. They don't have to wait a year to go to a startup battle someplace. They can do it online. And by the way, that's happening every week. It's incredible. So now it's great. So we're coming up to the top of the hour in terms of closing thoughts. Ruchi, what are your closing thoughts and what do you see for 2021? And um, how do people get a hold of you 
they got a really cool startup and it's an it's a medical startup, medic medtech startup. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, I think I think LinkedIn is the best place to get in touch with me because I'm I'm really active there and it's a professional network. So like if if anybody has a good uh, startup or anything like or just wants to maybe reach out for anything, just feel free to reach out or, or LinkedIn. And I think 2021 would be exciting. The vaccines are already here. Uh, this is I, I hope this year would be kinder to all of us. And I see like um, especially in the Middle East, there's a lot of action happening. And even with Saudi, the vision 2030, it's all about like moving away from the oil economy to the new tech economy. So like the countries here are really focusing a lot on like new technologies, startups, innovation. So I think like um, it would be exciting definitely in the next decade. Yeah. That sounds great. Okay, so LinkedIn's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah. All right, super. Vikram? Um, yeah, I think I'm excited about 2021 um, and looking forward to travel again. Uh, actually, um, pre-COVID, uh, December 19 and January 20, I, I remember in those two months, I, I traveled four countries, including China, actually five countries, uh, Hong Kong, uh, Japan, uh, Switzerland, uh, Singapore, and you know, um, and and I I remember you know from February on of course onwards uh, no travel at all of course uh, I'm 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 hoping that once the fact vaccine comes out uh, which hopefully should happen by April uh, to June when they start uh, giving vaccine to everyone. Uh, by June, hopefully, we should be travel. Uh, we should be traveling internationally. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, there would be a lot more investments happening this year. At least we are looking to invest in at least 2025 20, companies this year. Uh, we're also looking to raise a fund. Uh, we are raising a 200 million dollar fund. We've already halfway through. Um, yeah, and uh, I believe that there will be many more newer opportunities, especially in the AI area. You're seeing very exciting opportunities uh, coming out of India. Yeah, no, we love it. And how do they get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach you? Um, LinkedIn is the best place, but uh, of course, uh, ivcareventures.com, uh, they can come through that, uh, or ivcamp.in. So there, there are multiple ways to get it. All right, sounds great. So I want to thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedules to join me today. It's great seeing you both. And my name's Gary Fowler. I'm the CEO, president, and co-founder of Get Shit Done, GSD Venture Studios, premier AI venture studio, helping companies go global. I appreciate it today. And stay tuned for next week when we have another edition of GSD Present, Silicon Valley AI and Tech. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Oh,